So for someone who can't see this picture, tell, tell me what it, what's there. What, what are you looking at? I don't know if I can. That's <laughs> pretty hard. Do you mind if I describe it? Sure. It's a black and white photo showing a small white house. The windows are blown out. The roof looks shredded. There's a TV and furniture strewn about the yard. And a woman in a tank top and sandals perched on the arm of a chair, leaning forward. It's a sad day in her life. You could tell just the way she's sitting. This is Namond Lockhart. He's 66 years old. And the woman in that picture, taken 30 years ago, is his mother, Louisa. That house is still there. They've rebuilt it. Uh, she's not, but the house is. And that was tragedy, so I can't say much about it. The tragedy was Hurricane Andrew, a Category 5 storm that tore through Homestead, Florida, in August of 1992. While Nimond and his mom were sorting through the wreckage, a woman in Boston was staring at a computer screen, trying to put a price tag on the devastation. All the flattened homes and businesses ripped apart, all the lives upended. Do you remember what you were feeling as you're watching this and, and realizing how catastrophic it was going to be? Very scared. Karen Clark is an economist. You may remember her from the season prologue. Back in 1992, she was running the first-ever catastrophe modeling company. It was called Applied Insurance Research. Karen's company had just invented a new computer model that pulled together data about weather, along with property values and building codes, to predict the probability of disasters and how much they could cost. The purpose of catastrophe models is to prepare companies for future events that could happen. Because you don't want an insurance company to go insolvent after an event, to not be prepared, because then homeowners and commercial policyholders don't get paid. Karen's brand new model had never really been tested before, and Andrew was the first big test. Once she knew the track of the hurricane, Karen could more accurately estimate how much the damage would cost. And what the model was telling her was shocking. We were quite surprised when we started getting some very large numbers. Billions more in losses than any other storm had cost to date. You know, much larger than insurers even thought they could experience. She was like, whoa, can this be right? I mean, this is a model. How accurate is the model? It's never really been tested this thoroughly before. Karen ran the numbers again and again. We ourselves had uncertainty. All she could do was wait to see how accurate her estimate would turn out to be. How many homes, like Naman's mother's, would be destroyed? How many insurance companies would go belly up trying to cover all the claims? No one knew it at the time, but Hurricane Andrew and Karen Clark's models would change the insurance industry forever. I'm Amy Scott. This is How We Survive, where we're following the money to the end of the world. In this case, South Florida. This is Episode 5, Risky Business. 
The insurance industry quietly rules our lives. It determines where and what we build. It's also a linchpin of the housing market. Without it, homeowners couldn't get mortgages. And without mortgages, most people can't buy homes and the whole housing market starts to collapse. So what happens when the insurance market breaks down? When a whole state essentially becomes too risky for many private insurers? A lot of people think the insurance market in Florida is so broken that one really big storm could ruin the state. This episode, we're going to dig into what's broken, how we got here, and what's at stake if we don't fix it. We start with Hurricane Andrew, the storm that changed the insurance industry. When Andrew roared ashore as a Category 5 hurricane, it brought wind gusts of up to 175 miles per hour and storm surge that tossed cars and boats around like toys. This morning in South Florida, power is out over a widespread area. Trees are down. Buildings have been dead. Three hours ago, it was calm. Fooled a lot of people here. A lot of people decided not to leave, but right now it's extremely dangerous. We have uh, lost our signal on WTVJ. We are going to uh, stick with you as long as we possibly can. Yeah, we're still on water. Andrew devastated the city of Homestead, about 40 miles south of Miami. It was home to an Air Force base and about 29,000 residents. The morning of the hurricane, Karen powered up the fax machine, remember this was 1992, and started sending out her company's predictions. And Karen basically said to her clients, brace yourselves. There is uncertainty, but Andrew could cost the industry more than $13 billion. Now that was a shock. $13 billion was $9 billion more than any previous storm had cost. I mean, the largest loss to date had been under $4 billion, and that was from Hurricane Hugo in 1989. Immediately after Karen sent out those numbers, her phone started ringing. And there was just disbelief on the part of our clients. She remembers these calls like they were yesterday. One guy from London was like, I'll bet you five quid it won't be more than six billion. Another client basically scoffed. A few mobile homes and an Air Force base, how much can it be? Other estimates were coming in way lower. The official insurance industry estimate came out well after the storm at $7 billion. But Karen stuck to her guns and her $13 billion estimate. It took months to tally up all the damage. The final price tag was even higher than Karen predicted. It was probably about nine or 10 months after the event that the losses did develop to actually over $15 billion. That's about $30 billion in today's dollars. And then the industry realized that, yes, this was a major loss, uh, more than they had expected, and the hurricane model was uh, pretty accurate. The eyes were open, not just of the industry, actually, but of homeowners in Florida, of regulators, of everyone, that these types of large losses were possible. And I imagine your business took off after this? Oh, skyrocketed. <laughs> How do you even get your mind around $15 billion in damage? Check, check, check. We are entering the museum. 
This summer, we met up with a few survivors, Namand Lockhart, Adelaide Gonzalez, and Jeff Blakely. Nice to meet you. How should we set up? Just around the table? We met at the historic Homestead Town Hall Museum. It had been 30 years since Hurricane Andrew, but for many folks, the memories are still painful to revisit. Well, here are some of the photos that were taken right after the hurricane. Just inside the entrance, a wall of photos documents the devastation. Trees torn out of the ground, trailer parks flattened, a palm tree impaled by a piece of plywood. 26 people died in the storm. More than 25,000 homes were destroyed and another 100,000 damaged. Throughout the city, you'll find remnants of it still from all of the destruction. Namand grew up in that little white house from the photo of his mom in Florida City, just south of Homestead. He wasn't with her the day of the hurricane. He rode out the storm in the condo he rented not far away. When he emerged from his complex after the storm, he didn't recognize his own neighborhood. We started walking around trying to see if there was anybody around or anybody underneath anything, and I got lost. I got lost. I I didn't even know where I was living no more because everything was so saturated and all looked the same. Jeff Blakely's house fared okay in nearby Leisure City. I was extremely fortunate because I lived in a a concrete house, Mm -hmm. you know, so I don't have the experience that other people had. But his community suffered for a long time. You had no power here. There was no... Nine weeks. I was without power for nine weeks. There was not a single working traffic light in all of Dade County after the storm. Jeff said a lot of people loaded up what was left of their belongings and fled. I'll never forget, for days after the storm, I would just see a solid line of cars heading north kids hanging out the windows, stuffed bears hanging out the windows, mattresses tied on top of the cars. They had all of their worldly possessions packed in their cars and they were heading north. This this went on for days after the storm. Just a stream of people leaving and a lot of them never came back? Oh yeah. So when Andrew came, you had these huge insurance payoffs. People took the money and they left. They ran and they left a big hole in population and it took a long time for that hole to be filled. It was at least 10 years before some semblance of normality returned. Insurance helped others, like Adelaide Gonzalez, stay and rebuild. Those of us that had insurance, because a lot of people did not have insurance, but no, the insurance was very good for me, personally. They handed out money like for free after the storm. It was good while the going was good. But the money quickly ran out. And in the aftermath of Hurricane Andrew, about a dozen insurance companies went bankrupt. Because of the storm. And so the insurance industry as a whole said, whoa, wait a minute, we gotta gotta redraw the lines. Many companies that survived took a look at the market and at these new catastrophe models and were like, no thanks, too much risk. There's always a love-hate relationship between insurance companies and the Florida market. Key Coleman is a financial analyst and consultant to the insurance industry. He says insurers love Florida because of all the wealth there, a lot of insurable assets. 
and they hate it because of all the risk. He happened to be in Miami when Andrew hit. I was huddled in a hallway in South Miami with my wife, my aunt, and her dogs. At the time, Key was working for a private insurer, a company called Vesta, in the underwriting department. His job was basically to look at new policies and decide if they were worth the risk. That company survived the storm. But afterwards, Key says, it tried to reduce exposure in Florida by not taking on new customers. The company did not write new business, um, at least for a long time. He says a lot of companies did this. Insurers protected themselves from the risky Florida market in other ways, too. Big household name companies like State Farm and Allstate created something called PUPS. A PUP is a subsidiary owned by a larger company. If a big enough storm hits... You can always cut a subsidiary loose and let them fail. And that's one way these larger organizations have kind of insulated themselves from from the large part of capital that they have that that is supporting their their operations in the 49 other states. Chuck Nice is a professor at Florida State University. He says before Hurricane Andrew... The Florida market looked like every other state in the United States. There were a couple of very large companies that controlled most of the market share. They insured a lot of houses in the state of Florida. But after Andrew... Many of those companies have pulled out. Karen Clark again. Because the risk was higher than, at least in the short term, the ability to price for it. This is important. Insurance only works if you bring in enough money from premiums to cover potential losses. And after Andrew, there was this collective, oh shit, moment where everyone realized the insurance industry just wasn't charging enough. What Andrew showed is that the premiums had to be much higher to really cover the risk and that personal and commercial property owners would have to pay a lot more. The companies that did stay in Florida raised rates. As big national insurers pulled out, the state created financial incentives for smaller companies to fill the gap. Today, smaller insurers and pups make up two-thirds of the Florida market. So these smaller companies are the major players in the state. Chuck Nice again. It's very difficult to get coverage from a large national insurer that you know about. You can get coverage from these smaller companies— Um, that are not as highly rated uh, with regard to their capital position. And that can be dangerous because some of these smaller companies are taking risks that they may not be able to afford. Now the Florida market is characterized by much smaller companies, much more thinly capitalized companies that really could not sustain a loss greater than their one in a hundred. A one in a hundred is insurance speak for a really big storm. Technically, a storm that has a 1% chance of occurring in any given year, which may sound small. But it could happen this year. It could easily happen that, you know, Cap 5 hits Miami, we're going to have a $300 billion loss. So what happens is any insurance companies that are overly exposed in the Miami-Dade area, they're going to go out of business. And when that happens, a company goes insolvent, 
the state becomes responsible for paying out claims. And will often pass those costs on by charging all policyholders in the state a fee. That happened this year with several companies and could happen again. We're extremely worried about the vulnerability of Florida's property insurance market, the most volatile market in the U.S. It's hanging on a shoestring right now. In fact, I saw a recent report where one executive said it's being held together by a piece of chewing gum. Mark Friedlander is with the Insurance Information Institute, a research group funded by the insurance industry. There are about 60 home insurance companies operating in Florida, and almost half of them are on the state regulators' watch list. Why are they on the list? Because of concerns about their financial health. That's a really scary proposition because potentially it could take just one major storm event that includes severe property losses throughout the state could wipe out a half dozen or more of those companies easily. And what would be the ripple effects of that? The ripple effects would be crash of the real estate market. Very simple. Uh-oh. We'll get into that after the break. Okay, we're going to get into the worst-case scenario, how a collapse in the insurance market could take down the housing market. But first, I want to tell you about the other major change brought on by Hurricane Andrew, because it plays into the mess Florida's in today. In the aftermath of Andrew, the Florida state legislature created a state-backed insurer of last resort. Citizens Property Insurance Corporation. Citizens sells property insurance to people who cannot buy private insurance or homeowners who have no other affordable options. And for a lot of homeowners in Florida, it's the only coverage available for wind damage. Citizens was formed as a backstop insurer. When many insurers after Andrew decided they did no longer want to write home insurance in Florida because of the vulnerability. Citizens was supposed to stop the market from imploding after Andrew, and it did. But Mark Friedlander says the problem is that lately Citizens has been growing really big, really fast. It now has more than a million policies, double what it had just two years ago. So we call it insurer of last resort. Well, here we are today in 2022, and Citizens has become the insurer of only choice for so many homeowners now in Florida. That's because, just like after Andrew, private insurers are again pulling out of Florida. So far this year, six companies were declared insolvent by regulators and folded. Others are choosing to scale back their business in Florida— And this was before Hurricane Ian and Nicole. We've had more than a dozen other Florida insurers announce they are putting a moratorium on writing new business in the state because of its volatility. Now, this is not just about Florida's climate risk. Another big factor driving insurance companies to the brink, Mark says, is fraud. This is a man-made problem with a connection to climate change. 
you unfortunately have a group of unscrupulous contractors that are taking advantage of homeowners by telling them they will improve your home and make it more resilient to storms when the home doesn't need improvement. For example, they go to your door, they tell you there's been a recent wind event in your area, hailstorm, other type of weather event that has damaged your roof. And it's not true. When contractors sell homeowners roofs they don't necessarily need and then charge insurance companies for it, it's considered fraudulent. And fraud leads to litigation. Lawsuits over disputed claims are rampant in Florida. The state accounts for less than 10 percent of all homeowner insurance claims in the country, according to regulators, but about 80 percent of lawsuits. And even if many homeowners' claims are legitimate, the cost is staggering. The Florida Office of Insurance Regulation estimates insurers paid a whopping $3 billion in such lawsuits last year. Most of the money goes to attorneys' fees and public adjusters, very little to actual homeowners. So for insurers, the risk is high and the losses are high. Overall, Florida property insurers haven't turned a profit in the past six years. And when the worst happens and private insurers go under, Citizens often has to step in. That happened to FSU professor Chuck Nice this summer when his wind insurer, Weston, went out of business. Within a week, I had a letter from my mortgage company notifying me that Weston was no longer a rated company. I need to find coverage elsewhere. So he went to Citizens. This is the worst part is my price actually went down a little bit when I went from Weston to Citizens. It should go up. But because Citizens is a state-run company, its rates are heavily regulated. Annual increases are capped. Industry spokesman Mark Friedlander again. They are not allowed to charge market-level rates for risk. In fact, they have a cap of 11%, whereas our data shows the average rate increase in Florida this year is 33%. Mark says citizens' premiums are too low to cover its risk. Essentially, the state is selling insurance at a loss. At the same time, its exposure is ballooning. He worries Citizens is overexposed and doesn't have enough cash on hand to cover losses from a big storm. Citizens right now is in a very vulnerable state. In fact, they currently have $346 billion of exposure with only $13.4 billion to pay claims. Since we talked, Citizens' exposure has grown to over $400 billion. I should say, if a huge loss did happen, Mark says the state of Florida would not go bankrupt because citizens would dramatically raise rates for its policyholders. And then if that wasn't enough, it could charge a fee to anyone who has almost any kind of insurance in the state of Florida. Still not a great outcome. Another wrinkle to all of this, Citizens also has a cap on coverage. It can't write insurance for homes that are too valuable. In Miami-Dade County, it won't insure homes that cost a million dollars or more to rebuild. With the bonkers market, a lot more homes now fall into this category. Citizens won't write you, and no private insurer will write you. So we are hearing from more and more homeowners across the state 
have no coverage. They cannot find coverage in any market right now. And yet the real estate market is booming in Florida. Is it just a matter of time before this starts to show up in the, the difficulty of selling houses or, or property values actually falling? Eventually, this is going to have a negative impact on the values of real estate in Florida. We've been through a boom period here since the pandemic began. But as more homeowners find out, A, they either can't afford home insurance or B, can't even find home insurance because of the high value of homes here, the high replacement value, it is going to have a detrimental effect on our real estate market. And eventually the market will head in the other direction. Again, homeowners with mortgages are required to carry insurance. If large numbers of them can't get it or it's prohibitively expensive, the housing market could tank. And it's not just homeowners who lose out. Local governments rely on a healthy housing market because they depend on property taxes to pay for all the stuff, like infrastructure, law enforcement, and basic government services. And real estate makes up about a quarter of the Florida economy. So if the insurance market falls apart, the ripple effects could be devastating. And right now, a lot of homeowners are at the edge of what they can afford. Homeowners in Florida pay about three times as much for insurance as people in other states pay. Down in Key West, hello. I met up with Virginia Wark. I wasn't expecting you to pull up on a motorcycle. I'm not sure why, but she's an artist and works at the local Maritime Museum. She shares her little blue and yellow house with two birds, a dog, and a cat. Hi, kitty. She carries three insurance policies, regular homeowners, windstorm, and flood. I can remember when the insurance was geez, less than 20% of my mortgage payment, and now I would say it is probably closer to at least 50%, if not more. Virginia bought her house in 1988 and has only filed two claims for flooding during Hurricane Wilma and wind damage caused by Hurricane Irma. So I've only made those two claims in 35 years. And I don't believe that they were extravagant claims. It was, I need the house to live in. Virginia understands that living in an increasingly risky place comes at a cost. The demands on those insurance companies are so much more now because of the whole issue with what's happening with climate change. I mean, you you can't pretend it's not happening. There is massively, you know, strange weather going on. It's only going to get worse. But she worries about how rising insurance costs are changing Key West. The only people who can afford to live here are the rich people where it's like, oh, you know, if it floods, it's okay, we'll just build another one. And that's, that's who's in my neighborhood. That's what's happening here. Virginia says she has friends who've left the Keys because it's too expensive. We heard this from others in South Florida, too. I didn't think it could go up like it has. Christopher Carita is a police officer. He lives in Fort Lauderdale with his family. He bought his house in 2020, right before the pandemic. He knew what he was in for, buying a home a few miles from the coast. Fort Lauderdale is the Venice of America. There are canals everywhere. And he's been through hurricanes before as a first responder. And I responded uh, to Hurricane Michael up in the Panhandle. 
you know, Panama City basically blew away in, in Hurricane Michael. It was, it was devastating. But even he was shocked by how much his insurance has skyrocketed. I think we're paying, my last insurance policy now, I think we're paying double what we originally paid when we bought the house. Double in just two years. At first, Chris had private insurance. He estimates he was paying $3,500 a year. Then the company jacked up his premium, so they were able to switch to citizens. But even then, their costs went way up. So right now it's 6300 Citizens covers wind damage from storms. It does not cover flood damage. For that, Chris added another policy after watching what happened with Hurricane Ian on the other side of the state. We are not in a flood zone, but neither was most of uh, Lee County. And um, so we're, we're going to bite the bullet and pay the extra. And even with all the insurance Chris pays for, he worries he's still underinsured, what with the rising costs of building materials. He expects rates to go up again next year. It's making him rethink his investment in Florida. We're kind of moving away from the idea of investing more money into, into this house and maybe, you know, maybe spend that money and invest somewhere else. It does seem unsustainable. Chris says they're even thinking about moving further north to the Blue Ridge Mountains, where insurance is cheaper and climate risk is lower. Remember how we started this episode with a warning that one big storm could ruin the state? A lot of people wondered if Hurricane Ian was going to be that storm. It tore through southwest Florida in September. Karen Clark's company estimates the total insured damage will be more than $60 billion, the costliest in Florida history. But as deadly and destructive as it was, Hurricane Ian was not the storm that will collapse the insurance market. A couple of factors helped lessen the blow. The area hardest hit by Ian, around Fort Myers, is less populated than, say, Miami or Tampa. And Mark Friedlander, the insurance industry spokesman, says unlike other parts of the state, Southwest Florida had a pretty robust private insurance market. Southwest Florida is not heavily populated with citizens' customers. So they will not have a major loss event, meaning their reserves will not be tapped out. Fortunately, that does not appear to be the case with you. Another factor protecting the insurance market, reinsurance. That is, insurance for insurance companies. It's looking like this hurricane season, most companies bought enough of it, thanks in part to catastrophe models like Karen Clark's that estimate the probability of a major loss and help insurers plan for it. Karen told me her clients fared pretty well. So Ian is not the storm that will bring the state of Florida to its knees. But the insurance industry is still hanging on by, well, a piece of chewing gum. And that brings us around to solutions. The state held a series of legislative hearings earlier this year in an effort to reform the troubled insurance market. And it's expected to have another special session before the end of the year. There are other, shall we say, inventive solutions on the table involving people who take bets on actual storms. If the wind doesn't blow, then the investors made, you know, made, made a few bucks off their investment, and hopefully they'll redeploy that capital right back into the market again. So if the wind does blow, 
they have the the potential to lose all their money? That's correct. All that and more coming up on How We Survive. Oh, hey, if you like what you're hearing, please rate and review this podcast and share it with a friend. How We Survive is hosted by me, Amy Scott. Senior producer Caitlin Esch produced this episode with help from our production team, Olivia Zhao, Haley Hirschman, and Grace Rubin. Our editor is Jasmine Romero. Sound design by Chris Julin and audio engineering by Brian Allison. Our theme music is by Wonderly. Special thanks this week to John Gordon and Elizabeth Gothrop. Donna Tam is the director of On Demand. Francesca Levy is the executive director. And Neil Scarborough is the general manager of Marketplace. 